Good morning. Today's reading scripture is um, Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. The 2010 uh, reimagination of the famous fictional princess with the long locks opens in Disney's retelling. It's called Tangled. Uh, opens in Disney's retelling with a baby Rapunzel who finds a magical flower that when she consumes it, it gives her the power to have kind of a regenerative force. Right? She can give life and healing through her hair somehow. It's a Disney movie. And of course, because it's a Disney movie, there's a local witch. There's always a local witch in Disney movies, right? And the local witch sees the power and the force uh, that Rapunzel has and comes and kidnaps Rapunzel. She locks her away in a tower deep in the woods, far away from her parents, and uses her as this kind of human version of a fountain of youth. Because when she brushes her hair, she gets younger and younger. Now, again, it's a Disney movie, so there's a jump cut to when she's a happy teenager. Uh, but we quickly learn that Rapunzel, even though she's happy, something is off about Rapunzel. Because when the witch comes in, instead of Rapunzel greeting the witch as her captor, she greets the witch as her mother with love and affection. The witch then whispers lies to her. She sings a whole song, right? <laughs> Listen to your mumsy. It's a scary world out there. And Rapunzel has grown up her entire life believing that her prison cell is actually the place, the only place where she can be safe. She believes that her captor is actually the only person who can provide. And most tragically of all, the witch has obscured and hidden and skewed Rapunzel's true identity. Rapunzel has no idea that there's a kingdom beyond the walls. She has no idea that there are citizens looking for her. She has no idea that her father is the king of that kingdom. And she has no idea uh, that she is the heir to that kingdom. I always cry in this point of Disney movies. It's, there's something about the first 15 minutes. You know what I'm talking about? It's always the saddest part. Like, watch up. The first 15 minutes, you just start bawling. This part really got me when I watched Tangled. Uh, and I started to realize as I was thinking about this, I am Rapunzel. I'm Rapunzel. See, I'm not captured by a witch. There's not a real, literal, physical witch that's stored me away in a tower. But ever since I was young, there's been a powerful force at work speaking lies to me. Speaking lies about my worth, about my identity, about who I am, about where safety can be found. You may have heard these whispers before. Maybe the witch 
of materialism has whispered in your ear, if you want to be happy, you have to trust me. If you want to be safe, you need to stay here in these walls. It's scary out there. Only true safety can be found here with me. You are what you earn. You are your income level. You are what you own. You are what you leave behind as an inheritance to your children. You rent? Oof. Who are you? See, I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only one who's heard the lies and the whispers of this witch because it permeates everything in our culture. The witch is not our mother. How am I doing here? Just go ahead and hand me that. We've been through this before, Scott. Scott saved the day before. Thank you, Scott. Everybody clap for Scott. The witch doesn't want me to have this. <laughs> the witch is not our mother, and the witch ultimately has a goal. Remember, the witch's goal with Rapunzel? To steal life. To steal joy. And often our joy is gone because we are too focused on our stuff. We're locked in a prison of discontentment, believing that that's the only place where true safety can be found. But worst of all, the witch distorts and skews and obscures and hides our true identity. So how do we get free? I believe Jesus gives us the recipe here in this text this morning. What he wants is he wants us to remember who we are. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, we're reminded that you're here with us, that wherever we go, your presence is with us. We can't hide from your spirit. We pray that as we open up the Bible this morning, that you would speak by the power of your spirit through these words that Jesus spoke Speak to our hearts today in a fresh and new way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, my name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. Um, if you're new here, I'm so glad to see you here. Uh, we are been go- we've been going through a series in Luke chapter 12. Uh, and so we're going to go through a few verses here. If you need a copy of God's word, please raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring a copy of the Bible to you. And if you're like me and you get easily distracted looking at the digital Bible on your phone because you got all these notifications popping up and whatever, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. You can have a physical copy of the Bible. Uh, If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Seriously, keep it. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word at home. Uh, También tenemos Biblias Españolas. Si eres un hispanohablante nativo y prefieres uh, usar español, uh, tenemos Biblias Españolas. Uh, levanta la mano y diga español y alguien va a traer una copia a usted. Uh, si no tiene en su casa, este es nuestro regalo a usted. Estamos en Lucas uh, capítulo 12. All right. So like I said, we're in Luke chapter 12. We've been going through a series about uh, money, about what Jesus says about money in Luke chapter 12 specifically. Um, And what I think is really helpful coming into this text is to just back it up a little bit, just two verses. We're going to go back to to verse 30, and we're going to look at that because what Jesus really wants to do in us as we hear these words is he wants to form us to be a distinct people, to be different 
to be different from the nations around us, to be different from the religious attitudes around us, to be what's called a contrast community. That's what he wants. Where am I getting this? Look at verse 30. Jesus says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. Whenever you see nations and it's a Jewish person talking to a Jewish audience, he's talking about non-Jews, Gentiles. And he's specifically talking about people who do not worship the one true God, Yahweh. People who worship other gods, think Zeus and Artemis, think mammon, materialism. And they seek, all these people who are non-Yahweh worshipers, they seek after these things. Well, these things are food and clothing. And when you see seek after, you could think it really means center their lives around the pursuit of these things. They center their lives around the pursuit of food and clothing. That's not people who are just trying to get a meal or just trying to put a shirt on their back. They are centering their lives around getting better food, more gourmet food, better and more stylish clothing than their neighbors, okay? You tracking with me? So to be distinct from that, he says in verse 31, instead of centering your lives around these things, center your lives around the kingdom and these things will be added to you. Okay, so what he's wanting to do in us is he wants to remind us that we are different and he wants to tell us how. This is our true identity. Okay, that brings us to verse 32. The first thing he wants us to know about our true identity is we are sheep. We're sheep. Everybody, I want you to say, bah. That was really fun. (laughs) I'm glad I made you do that. We are sheep. Yeah. So it starts with these words in verse 32, fear not. So we get this tenderness from Jesus. Fear not, little flock. Sheep is probably one of the most common images throughout the Bible for our relationship to God. Think Psalm 23, the Lord is my, I shall not want right? You get this tender image of God's loving care for us, right? And if you think about it, you're like, oh, I'm a cute little lamb, you know, and I'm all cozied up with the shepherd, right? But that is not what sheep are like. It's not what sheep are like. Do we have the picture here of what sheep are like? That's you. (laughs) Okay, you can take it down. It's too ugly. Sheep are smelly, They're mean, they're cruel to each other, they bite each other, they're frail, they're fragile, they're easily susceptible to predators coming and taking them away. They're not known for their supreme intelligence, folks. They're not. They're known to be dumb. They will follow each other off cliffs and into ravines. They need constant care and provision. The reason that that sheep looks so messed up is because he had been off on his own without a shepherd for so long that his wool had gotten to 78 pounds. It was crushing his body. That's how much wool he had. Sheep are dependent. They're dependent on the shepherd for everything, even for being shaved. They're dependent. And I will say that this is a very offensive reality, if we think about it. This is very offensive to our American sensibilities, isn't it? We don't like being dependent. We like independence. We have a whole holiday for independence, right? We're independent from England. 
right? To be an adult, an adult really means that you're independent from your family, from your parents. We like to think that we're independent of our family systems of brokenness and our heritage. We like to think that someday, if we have enough investments, enough wealth acquired, then we can be independently wealthy. It means we don't need a job. We can just reap the stuff that we put our money into. We love independence, but the picture that we get from Jesus himself about our identity is that we are frail, fragile, created beings dependent wholly on the creator, wholly on the grace of a good God. We're like dumb, stinky sheep that are wholly dependent on a good shepherd. I think if we truly grasped how dependent we are on God for everything. Think about this. The reason you have breath in your lungs this morning is because God breathed life into you. The reason that the sun rose this morning is because God does not ever get bored of the picture of the sunrise. He says, do it again. Do it again. Everything is upheld and sustained by our good God and creator, including you. And if we truly, truly, truly grasped how deeply dependent and needy we are, I think we would pray like crazy, folks. I know I would pray more if I really grasped this part of my identity. We always need God. We cannot get wealthy enough to not need God. See, in a world that believes and loves to believe that we're autonomous and independent individuals who can need no one and nothing, Jesus wants to shape us to be distinct, to be a people of deep dependence on him through prayer. We are sheep. Okay, this is the time, the moment of redemption. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, you are richly blessed. You're richly blessed. I'm richly blessed. We are richly blessed. See, I didn't leave you in the sheep land. <laughs> uh, a few months ago, my friend Shayla Sandoval uh, was up here on stage with me, and we did an interview, and she was sharing about her job in marketing and the marketing industry. You can go back and watch it. It's a fantastic interview. But something that she said has stuck with me. She said that we live in a culture that has monetized dissatisfaction. You recognize that? It's monetized dissatisfaction. You're dissatisfied with something in your life, and so you buy a thing that you think will satisfy you, but then quickly you're dissatisfied with that, and so you see an ad for a new thing, and you buy the new thing, but quickly that dissatisfies you, and it just keeps going. Marketing has, dis, has monetized dissatisfaction, and we are trapped in a cycle of deep dissatisfaction. It can suck us under. But Jesus wants us to understand something that's core to our identity as Christ followers. Whether you're rich or you're poor or you're anywhere in between, he wants us to understand that we are richly blessed. Let's keep reading in verse 32. Fear not, little flock. Fear not, sheepies. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And notice what it doesn't say. Sometimes this is what I wish it said. It's your father's good pleasure to give you an espresso machine. That's not what it says. 
It's your father's good pleasure to give you a new car. No, it's your father's good pleasure. He loves doing this. Your dad loves doing this. He loves giving you something even better, the kingdom itself. What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Well, when we talk about the kingdom of God, or when we read about it, we should understand it to mean simply that God is bringing his rule and his reign on earth. Here's how N.T. Wright says it. The kingdom of God is at its heart about God's sovereignty sweeping the world with love and power so that human beings, each made in God's image and each one loved dearly, may relax in the knowledge that God is in control. Fear not, little flock. God, the creator, loves to give good gifts, loves to give you the kingdom, loves, that is, to bring his sovereign care and rescue right to your own door. He wants to give us the kingdom, and the kingdom is God bringing his rule and his reign here on earth. Think about how Jesus invited us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your, and your will be done on as it is in heaven. He wants to bring heaven down to earth. He wants to make his rule and his reign and his blessings flow here on earth as it is in heaven. See, in the new kingdom, in heaven, there will not be any more sin. And in Christ, we receive the forgiveness of sin now, here, today. In the new kingdom, there will not be any more death. And here, now, we receive new life in Jesus' resurrection. In the new kingdom, God will be present with us fully. And here and now, we receive in Christ the gift of God's presence in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, Paul just riffs. He just talks about all the things we've been richly blessed with in the kingdom. He says that we're chosen, we're holy, we're predestined, we're adopted, we're blessed, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're lavished with grace, we're reconciled with one another, we've obtained an inheritance, we're saved, we have the word of truth living in us, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Materialism is not our mother, but God himself is our father. The king is our dad. And in Christ, you and I have received the kingdom itself, and we are a part of bringing it to bear on his good world. In a world that is so deeply dissatisfied, what Jesus wants to do in us to shape us to be distinct is he wants us to be a people of deep gratitude, knowing that we are his children, richly blessed. All right, we're sheep, we're richly blessed, and lastly, we are citizens and also ambassadors. (laughs) I didn't want to do four points for you guys, so rolled two in. Keep looking with me, if you would. Verse 33 of Luke chapter 12, it says this. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Has anybody ever driven up the road to Mount Lemmon before? Yeah. 
So you're probably familiar with, there's a little stretch uh, just after Windy Point where there's cliff on both sides. You know what I'm talking about? You could fall off the cliff on one side or the other if you're really, you know, sketchy. That's kind of what I feel like this verse is. It's kind of like a road that has cliff on both sides. And on one side, we're tempted to fall off the cliff of what's called prosperity theology. To think that really what Jesus is saying here is if you invest X amount of dollars, you'll get out Y, right? It's kind of this investment strategy. Give the church $100, God will bless you with $200. When I lived in South Africa, there was a student that I, I met with frequently, and he told me that one of his pastors when he was young said that he was made in the image of God. God spoke all things into existence so he could speak a car into existence. That is prosperity theology. Not what Jesus is saying. Not at all. But we're also in danger of falling off of the other cliff if we get too close to the other side. What I would call poverty theology or hating the rich. And I think in this instance, uh, it's tempting to believe that God's good gifts are not good. That God does not like to bless people with things at all. Is this one going out too, Scott? Swap it out. Boy, all right. It's tempting to think that God does not want to bless people at all, that being wealthy is sinful, that being wealthy is wrong. I also do not think that's what Jesus is saying here. In fact, he doesn't even say sell all your possessions. He says sell your possessions. I think that what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to speak a word of challenge to both of those attitudes. This is neither an investment strategy nor a condemnation of the rich. This is an invitation to live a better and more distinct life as citizens of God's kingdom. It's really not that complicated. I'm going to just make it really simple. If you see your brother without a shirt, Jesus wants you to give your shirt to your brother. If you see your sister without a meal, Jesus wants you to feed your sister. We overcomplicate this stuff. But what Jesus really wants to do in us is he wants to shape us with a kingdom ethic and a kingdom mind. It's not about storing up good works for yourself. It's not about even necessarily making the world a better place. It's because we belong to another kingdom, we need to live like it. In that kingdom, nobody goes hungry. Nobody is cold. We're meant to be a preview of that kingdom to the watching world. So in that way, we are citizens loving and caring for one another, but we're also ambassadors giving a glimpse of the kingdom that is to come here and now so that our neighbors can see. Nancy Piercy says this. At his ascension, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. With those words, he authorized his followers to establish his kingdom on earth by opposing evil and establishing justice. That's what it means to live as a citizen of heaven. When Paul says in his letter to the Philippians that we are citizens of heaven, most Christians interpret that to mean that we should look forward to leaving earth and going to heaven, which is our true home. But that is not what the passage meant to first century readers. 
The city of Philippi in Greece was a Roman colony where many had the privilege of Roman citizenship. The citizens of a colony were not supposed to aspire to go back to Rome. Their job was to secure a conquered country by permeating the local culture with Roman culture. By telling Christians they are citizens of heaven, then Paul was telling them to permeate the world with a heavenly culture. So Jesus, when he tells us to sell our possessions and to give to the needy, he's saying permeate Tucson with a heavenly culture. Permeate your neighborhood with the culture of the kingdom because you're a citizen. And when people see that, they are going to want to be a part of that kingdom. He's saying demonstrate it. Go out and show it here and now. When we understand our identity as citizens, we understand that ultimately our money does not belong to us. It belongs to the king. It belongs to God. And because of that, we're freed from our need to be self-focused and to hold on to everything and to hoard for a rainy day. We're transformed into a people that is generous and self-giving. We are shaped into the image of the king himself who gave everything for us. We become generous like Christ. We understand that we're blessed to be a blessing to others. And then Jesus closes out his three-verse section here with a temperature check. Verse 34. He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying to us that something about our financial reality reflects what's going on deeper in our hearts. Something about our bank account counts is a readout on where our heart is truly at. You want to know how well you're living out this kingdom citizenship stuff? Jesus says, where is your money going? They're linked. Your treasure goes toward what you're devoted to. But I want to say that I believe it's not just a thermometer, because a thermometer reads out the reality, right? It just shows you what's going on. I believe that your treasure is also a thermostat. A thermostat sets the temperature so that something can change. I think that Jesus wants our heart's devotion to the kingdom to grow through giving, through generosity, through partnership. I know that he's done that for me. He's grown my own heart as I give to others. Remember, he wants us to be distinct. In a world that is completely obsessed with taking care of self first and foremost, Jesus wants to form us to be a people of deep, self-giving generosity, living like the kingdom is coming here. He wants us to be freed from that tower deep in the woods with the witch. He wants us to be freed from the captor that we call mother. He wants us to be freed from the prison cell of discontentment. He wants you and he wants me to remember who we really are. So pray like you're a sheep. Be grateful like you are a child of God, richly blessed with the very kingdom itself. Be generous like you're a citizen with neighbors watching. 
the world around us might just get a glimpse of God's good kingdom that's to come when they see us here at Redemption Tucson. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that too often we are self-focused and we believe the lie that's permeating our culture that we can be independent from you. We confess that that is something that is an utter lie. We are wholly dependent on you, God. But we also remember that you love us so much that you came and you rescued us from the grip of materialism. God, we pray that this morning we would be moved to be shaped like kingdom citizens, certainly, but to be shaped even more so like your son, Jesus. Help us to reflect and to say something true about the gospel to our neighbors in our generosity to people. We pray that you would uh, form our hearts to be distinct, form us as a community that is distinct, so that when people see us, they see a little glimpse of your kingdom that is to come. May it come here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.